Okay, welcome once again to another Throttle Up Radio Show and Podcast. And I'm your host, Captain Kevin Smith. And I am uh, glad to be here. I'm with here uh, in the audio studio with my audio engineer. And she helps me every every episode, as it turns out. Anyway, so we are in the midst of a... Are we in the midst of a special edition? Yes, we are. Uh, the name of this special edition is Think Like a Fighter Pilot. And I guess I have to do a few administrative things right up front. Uh, we are a radio show and podcast. Our radio show is on Red State Talk Radio. We are a weekend show, Saturdays and Sundays, both channels. And you can find the exact time uh, on their uh, website, uh, the uh, Red State Talk Radio website. And I get I guess you can download your app. Is that correct? I'm I'm talking my audio engineer. Yeah, they have an app too, and so you can do that. Uh we are a like I said, a radio show and podcast. Our podcast is available almost everywhere now. Just anywhere you want to go. Um I think uh Castbox is good, Podbean is good, Apple Play and uh iTunes. Those are four. And there's probably a bunch of others. All right, so we are happy to report that as well. Uh, we are kind of a long-running show and podcast. We've been around for quite a while, right? So so uh, <laughs> what would you say? We're a national fixture? <laughs> something something like that. <laughs> we, we certainly have been around for... Sometimes and and this is really great. We enjoy it. Uh, thank you for listening and and uh, watching. We are now doing video as well as audio, and so the video we'll we'll have more details on the video as we uh, you know get into the the video aspects of this uh, of this uh, effort and initiative um, and. Uh, I, I did want to point out that I have a new book out. Uh, I'm, actually, I have to go reach over and, and pick it up. Uh, let me let me do that. Okay. Uh, yes, we have a new book out. Uh, we are, you know, promoting a book. Uh, very happy with it, by the way. Uh, the publisher is Redemption Press. They're out of Washington State good bunch of people this is the book it's called the sonic warrior chronicles of a top gun pioneer and it's actually um the history of uh early supersonic aviation from my perspective and uh, when i say that uh that's exactly what i mean it is from my perspective it is from my uh experience uh as a um first generation sonic warrior what what does that mean it means that i flew the first generation supersonic fighters i actually did that for the u.s navy so i was a navy fighter pilot naval aviator navy fighter pilot i was a top gun pilot and uh my specialty was close in aerial combat so i was uh I was trained in that uh, environment, and I also taught others to perform at a very high level in that particular environment. Okay, so this show is uh, Think Like a Fighter Pilot, uh, long-running. Why are we doing this? Well, you know, for obvious reasons. Uh, I think that with without, you know, without sugarcoating it, uh, I would say that, uh, by and large, our ability to think critically is not very good across the board. Now, I think there are some pockets that we see, hopefully, uh, those that are uh, listening and watching this uh, show, the people out there have taken charge of their thinking, uh, they have not uh, subcontracted it out to other entities, but they have taken charge of their thinking, and they are committed to thinking for themselves. 
once you make that commitment or once that becomes your intention, then we can begin to examine this whole area of critical thinking and uh, the other things that are related to it to, to keep things simple and free-flowing. What I use, I use critical and creative thinking. All right, so I kind of use that to explain what I'm talking about, and it kind of captures everything about it that I would like to discuss. So when we're te- dealing with critical and creative thinking, uh, that that's pretty much a broad uh, overview of uh, human consciousness and how does thinking and reasoning fit into this uh, discussion or fit into this domain that we can call from a number of, uh, well, we we have a number of terms we can use uh, for this. I, I use um, uh, human consciousness, all right? So human consciousness, humans are capable of thinking and reasoning, at least to some extent. And it is something that is skill-based, and so you can get better at it if you focus on improving it just like anything else you're giving this uh, this um, biological computer and uh, there are ways that we can optimize its performance so we were given this thing that we call consciousness and we can look at how we can uh, improve its performance and make it work better to um, ensure success for ourselves and others. Okay, so we're going to start this show off with a question. Uh, We normally do this now. So my audio engineer is going to read me the question for this particular show. All right, and then we're going to uh, try to answer it to the best of our ability. Here we go. Hi there, Kevin. Hi. Okay. Your question, what about Tommy Hitchcock, Colonel, U.S. Army Air Corps, that we need to know? And Captain James Fitzsimmons, U.S. Navy, retired as well. Okay, that's a good question, and uh, actually, that's a great question because you know the 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 current interest today is, among other things, the Top Gun Maverick movie. Now, I was <laughs> I was actually playing golf with a with a gentleman yesterday, as it turns out, and he asked me. Uh, we we were talking a little bit about my you know, my military career, and he asked me about the Top Gun Maverick movie. I actually did. And he, he asked me what what did I think about it, and, you know, did I think it was realistic, and so forth and so on. And I began to answer it. But before before I get into that, I, I just wanted to let you know that, that this gentleman was a senior citizen, for sure, and... His father was was a army lieutenant in World War II and was killed in action. He was killed when this guy was 19 months old. And so here we have a Gold Star family, and this is a Gold Star son, uh, son of a Gold Star family, and he's asking me about uh, the Top Gun Maverick movie. And so, yes, it is a fascination, and I, I'm going to use that as a, as a way to uh, launch into my discussion for this show and for this week uh, with respect to that. Now, the first thing I'm going to do uh, as we get into this, um, I'm going to play this very short uh, audio-video clip uh, what is it? Uh, four minutes. This is a four-minute clip, all right. And it's—I uh, mean, it's—it's it's been around. It, actually, it's—it's it's very, very popular. What whoever put this together, and we're gonna use that 
as a launching point. Now, here, here's what I want you to keep in mind as we are listening to this audio promotional clip of the Top Gun Maverick movie. Keep in mind that, that Maverick is not just a fictional character. Maverick is actually a composite character of real people. Now, if you had to go back into history, we could look at a number of people. And, and I'm, not, I'm not rank ordering any of them. These are all great people. These are uh, John Glenn, Chuck Yeager, uh, most of the uh, astronauts uh, that operated the space shuttle, uh, and on and on and on. And there was a number of other key people. Uh, in my experience, there was a number of people I worked with, which I considered to be uh, the, the best that we've ever produced as, as a country. Uh, I, was, I was fortunate enough, I think, to, to be working with the best of the best they were. Uh, Tommy Hitchcock could very well be the first Top Gun Maverick. Okay, he could very well be. So I I, I want to I, I want to start my discussion there, but before I get into the um, uh, the personality profile and the and the, the accomplishments of Colonel Tommy Hitchcock, uh, which actually I think, by the way, is an unsung hero. I don't think a lot of people know about him. All right, but uh, we're going to start off with that as a way to 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 frame our argument. What is our argument today? Our argument is that is that uh, this is the time for heroes. Okay, and let's not forget that. This is the time for heroes. This is the time for people to stand up and do the right thing. Stand up for what is the right thing and not worry about the politics of the moment or not worry about what other people might think. Uh, certainly not worry about what are the other uh, negative reactions we might get. Okay, and my book... The Sonic Warrior, Chronicles of a Top Gun Pioneer, uh, basically is a book about a maverick, all right? A maverick type of person that happens to be me. And I did things way, way outside the box. And I was, yes, I was not overly concerned about what others might think. What I did was the right thing to do with respect to national defense, our code of ethics that we have as warriors and officers, commissioned officers, we operate within the code of ethics. And what was the best thing for us to do with respect to national defense preparing us for the next major war? And that's what was my job. Okay. Um, and... Um, <laughs> to let you know a little bit uh, about whether or not we were successful. Yes, we were. We were uh, actually we were successful during my deployment aboard the USS Constellation in the Pacific Theater of Operation. Yes, we were, in fact, very successful from a warfare con uh, uh, perspective. Okay, so let's go ahead and play this uh, audio clip um, of... The Top Gun Maverick movie. What is the, the title of this is uh, Top Gun Maverick, Not Today. So let's play this and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive right into our discussion about real Mavericks. Talk to me, Goose. Maverick, 30 plus years of service, combat medals, citations, only man to shoot down three enemy planes in the last 40 years, distinguished, 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 yet you can't get a promotion, you won't retire, and despite your best efforts you refuse to die. 
What is that? I'm where I belong, sir. These planes you've been testing, one day, sooner than later, they won't need pilots at all. Pilots that need to sleep, eat, take a piss. Pilots that disobey orders. Call came in with impeccable timing. You've been called back to Top Gun. Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Your reputation precedes you. What's your read, Captain? It's a dogfight all the way home. Things not coming back from this. We don't want you to fly it. We want you to teach it. Where do you think you want to go? I thought of being an instructor, sir. Top Gun? Sir, God help us. <laughs> Attention on deck! Welcome to basic fighter maneuvers. Top Gun was created to teach ACM air combat maneuvers. As briefed, today's exercise is dogfighting. Well, where the hell is he? You see me now? Grab the Bradshaw, aka Rooster. I understand he used to fly with his old man. What's his call sign? Talk to me, Goose. Talk to me, Goose. Great. Maverick and Goose. You two characters are going to Top Gun. Goose, sir. We gotta get out of here. I can't leave ice. I'm not leaving my wingman. That's my wingman. You Take have it. less than three weeks to teach them how to fight as a team and how to strike the target. And how to come home. Oh, no! And how to come home, sir. Please, don't ask me to send someone else to die. Please, don't. Don't ask me to send him. Every mission has its risks. These pilots accept that. I don't, sir. I've never lost a wingman. Fly long enough, it'll happen. Easy for you to say. No wife. No kids. Nobody to mourn you when you burn in. The end is inevitable, Maverick. Your kind is headed for extinction. Dr. Mendoza. Maybe so, sir. But not today. Okay. Uh... Top Gun Maverick uh, movie. That's a, a kind of a, a what what you would say a trailer. Uh, that's actually a compilation of a bunch of stuff. So it is very well put together. Um, we can say with uh, with a certain um, uh, high level of confidence that uh, Colonel Tommy Hitchcock. Uh, was in fact the first Top Gun pilot. Okay, we can say that. Now, now I'm not taking away uh, from the Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, uh, don't don't get uh, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to do. But Tommy Hitchcock uh, was instrumental in uh, uh, in the uh, re-employment or the redeployment or the modifications to the employment of the P-51 in the European theater of operation, primarily during the time of the late bombing era of, uh, this is in, in, in particular the, uh, the strategic bombing of, uh, of Germany during World War II, uh, Tommy Hitchcock uh, and a few others were looking at the way that the P-51 was being employed. And they thought that we were not capitalizing 
on the performance capabilities of the P-51. The P-51 was being, uh, was, was escorting the, um, uh, the, the uh, bombers. Um, in this case, it was, uh, what, the B-17s and the B-24s. Um, and uh, their escort duties were, were such that the uh, tactics that they were using was uh, more or less ill-conceived, or it was tactics for a different era. So the P-51 brought into the theater of operation something that was missing, uh, and that was a higher level of velocity uh, that was capable of performing aerial combat, or uh, another way of saying that is air combat maneuvering. We noticed that in this video, uh, an audio clip that we just heard, they use terms like dogfighting. They use terms like um, air combat maneuvering. Another term that we use is close-in air combat maneuvering and um, other other related things. It, it goes by a number of terms, all right? So close-in, uh, in my particular case, because I was flying supersonic-capable airplanes, and these were airplanes that could easily go supersonic. It wasn't a problem for these airplanes to go back and forth into the supersonic era and back into the subsonic, high-subsonic, transonic. Uh, it's almost like it was seamless, not quite seamless, but pretty close to being seamless. The airplane I flew was the F.A. Crusader, and it could very, very easily, with almost no uh, change to the aerodynamics of it, uh, go from subsonic to transonic to supersonic um, in uh, basically in a heartbeat. And so I was on the ground floor of the first supersonic uh, air combat uh, community or uh, the supersonic air combat um, initiative that was uh, put in place during uh, mostly this was mostly during the Cold War. Okay. Now the P fifty one was a remarkable airplane. It was remarkable in a lot of cases. We talked about this before on the show, and others have talked about it as well. Uh, it requires. Um, very, very serious considerations. Now, who was the individual that saw this potential and uh, uh, went forward against a lot of opposition to um, uh, redesign the uh, the tactical employment of the P-51 in the European theater during World War II. As a result of that, our strategic bombing campaign was extremely successful. And that was Colonel uh, Tommy Hitchcock. Uh, uh, Colonel Tommy Hitchcock uh, started out uh, in aviation as... Uh, as a uh, as a World War II, a one aviator, uh, and he actually uh, was assigned to the uh, Lafayette Escadrille. Now that is a French uh, air wing, and that was the first combat air wing uh, ever established in the history of aviation. The Lafayette escadrille these were the first to fly there's actually a book that you can get it's called first to fly i read at the top of my head i do not remember the author i have the book it was actually given to me as a gift um, and it was a um historical account of the first uh combat air wing ever in the history of 
mankind and uh, certainly in the history of aviation. Uh, it was manned by French and Canadian and American pilots. Tommy Hitchcock was one of those aviation pioneers. Now, he got involved in the uh, P-51. Now, he, because of his extensive experience in aviation, he got involved in it, and he uh, uh, did a lot of testing, a lot of prototype evaluations, a lot of uh, um, tactical research and development. We call it tech uh, R&D. Uh, I was I actually got involved in uh, tactical research and development when I was a senior officer assigned to the Pacific Fleet Fighter Wing. I got involved in that as well, so I got familiar with that whole community. Uh, but uh, Tommy Hitchcock probably started that. I think he probably was the first, and he uh, he saw the potential of the P fifty one. He said, "Okay, the P fifty one is so much better." than anything else in the sky by order of magnitude. Uh, and what, what was that? It was a number of things. It was uh, agility. Uh, this is also, we could say, was maneuverability. It was, uh, that basically means the same thing. Uh, it was also velocity, okay? It was actually faster than anything else airborne at the time. Uh, with velocity comes energy. If you understand the energy equations, uh, velocity has a lot to do with kinetic energy. Okay. Uh, there's another fancy term that you may run across. Uh, in it, and I've, I've noticed it from time to time because I used to use it on a regular basis when I was uh, directly involved in designing uh, airplanes uh, it's called kinematics all right so you you and that's that's kind of a term that's being uh, being reintroduced into the you know into the mind space of humans kinematics all right but basically uh, uh, kinetic energy so with velocity comes kinetic energy right? and so how do you exploit that how do you optimize um, velocity and energy to achieve the advantage and, and or to yeah achieve the advantage and to ultimately um, succeed in combat right or achieve mission success by first achieving the advantage over the enemy right you can't you know in in you know, any kind of combat a specific in particular, aerial combat, you're not going to win the air battle unless you first and foremost achieve an advantageous position. Okay, all right. That's 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 really the the bottom line, right? And then once you achieve the advantageous position, then you exploit that. You prevent the and and what you're doing then is you're putting the enemy at the disadvantage. So. The enemy now is operating from a uh, from a defensive position, not an offensive position. You don't want to get there. You want to maintain the advantage, maintain the offensive position. Tommy Hitchcock saw this. He said, "Okay, well, you know what we've got to do is we've got to re-employ, or we've got to come up with new air combat tactics for." the P-51 Mustang, and he and others like him, but he was taking the lead. He actually did so. Uh, now he's being recognized, at least in some quarters, as a, an American hero, okay, and, and one of the heroes of uh, World War II uh, in the European theater. All right, <clears throat> so um, the air war was quickly won because of the P-51 and the marvelous pilots, the air combat trained pilots, uh, Americans and others as well, Tuskegee Airmen uh, for sure, 
okay? There was uh, uh, two, I think, two squadrons of Tuskegee Airmen, uh, and they were providing uh, bomber escorts as well. Uh, so they deserve a lot of credit. They were the first. Okay, so what, what were they able to do? They were able to redeploy and come up with new tactics, and, and in doing so, they were able to uh, quickly defeat uh, the German Air Force. Uh, they, uh, basically, they, uh, they totally annihilated the German Air Force. Uh, they did that because they had a better airplane, but they also were smart enough to employ it effectively or capitalize on its great strength. Its great strength was velocity. The P-51's great strength was velocity. Now, remember what I said. Along with velocity comes energy. Okay, so we have velocity and energy, and we were able to optimize our performance with respect to aerial combat, with respect to dogfighting, with respect to close-in aerial combat. They all basically mean the same, okay? And we were able to destroy, shoot down, destroy uh, the uh, German airplanes uh, at, at very, very high numbers and, and quickly... Quickly, we basically um, um, eliminated their ability to perform. All right, that's that's what we did. Now, we actually duplicated that that performance. Now, T Tommy Hitchcock uh, led the way in the uh, in the European theater of World War II. Uh, there was another. Uh, major air battle in the Pacific Theater during World War II. It's called the Battle of the Philippine Sea. Okay, uh, you can look it up. You can read it. You can get all kinds of stuff. There's a great courses course on it, um, and um, on and on and on. All right. The the bottom line of this is that basically it was a repeat of our success in the European theater using the P-51. Now, the P-51 led the way. It was not the airplane that performed so very well in the uh, Pacific theater and the Battle of the Philippine Sea because it was not carrier-based, but there was another airplane that capitalized on our um, our innovation uh, that was employed in the P-51, and that happened to be the F-6F Hellcat. Now, the F-6F Hellcat was a carrier-based uh, fighter, and that was the star of the show that that was the star of this air battle this gigantic air battle now we we're thinking the battle of the philippine sea was a naval battle yes it was a naval battle because these were carrier based airplanes there was a uh there was a uh enemy carrier force that was pitted against an american carrier force carrier airplanes against carrier airplanes and the uh the japanese was the enemy and they were using the zero and the americans were using the f6f hellcat and the f6f hellcat uh, was designed around a, uh, I'm going to say a remarkable engine uh, that kind of doesn't quite capture it. It was, uh, it was an engine uh, that was designed and built by Pratt & Whitney, an American company. It was the most powerful radial engine at the time. 
this engine was not only powerful but could actually power a fighter airplane. It was small and light enough to fit into a fighter. And it was also unbelievably reliable. A Pratt & Whitney is known for reliable engines, and that's their corporate motto even today. I have been to the Pratt & Whitney uh, headquarters in, um, oh, you know, memory, if, if memory serves me properly, it's probably uh, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, uh, but I remember being there. I was actually invited to go to their facility, a tour of their facility, and also there was a reception in their, um, uh, in their museum space. They have a museum there, right? And uh, the R2800 was one of the engines that was featured in this museum. And the R2800 was uh, a 2,000-horsepower engine. It was unbelievable. It was remarkable. It powered the F6F Hellcat. And it enabled the, Hel the Hellcat to have much higher performance in terms of vel velocity and also maneuverability uh, than the enemy's aircraft, which was what we called the Zero. All right. <clears throat> and uh, the, uh, the battle was uh, uh, very much one-sided. All right. Uh, we basically... Uh, the American uh, carrier-based airplanes uh, shot down about 380 of the enemy airplanes. It was it was uh, um, it was uh, probably the mo the largest air battle uh, ever. Uh, I'm not exactly. I've, I haven't done a complete analysis of this but i would say that that if it wasn't the largest air battle in the history of aviation it was it was pretty darn close uh it may very well have been the largest air battle in all of uh military aviation anyway so the americans prevailed it was a a one-sided um uh, operation uh, the Americans had a better airplane. They had, uh, and and the and the other thing that was very important is that the Americans had had better trained pilots. They were more experienced. They were better at it. They were uh, they were more. Uh, they were. You can say that most of them were Top Gun trained, if you want to put it in the vernacular of today. Uh, whereas the uh, the Japanese pilots were not okay. No, they weren't. They weren't Top Gun trained. They they were not uh, trained for close in aerial combat. They weren't trained for dogfighting. They weren't trained for that kind of thing. Okay, they just weren't. They weren't experienced either. All right, and so it was a one-sided, lopsided uh, a battle, and we basically we basically destroyed the carrier air force of the Japanese fleet in, in one single engagement. And that was the Battle of uh, the Philippine Sea. Okay. The F-6F Hellcat was similar in performance to the P-51. Now, the P-51 was not carrier-based, and so it could be, uh, it was a bit lighter, Okay, uh, and it had a rather remarkable engine. It was a Rolls-Royce Merlin engine, uh, produced, I think, 1,200 horsepower, uh, whereas the, uh, the F6F Hellcat with the R2800 engine built by Pratt & Whitney, I think that was tw uh, 2,000 horsepower, right? So that was a, um, that was a, and, and you kind of needed that for the heavier uh, F6F Hellcat because it was carrier-based and had to be heavier than uh, the P-51. Uh, the Hellcat also had armor plating and had self-sealing fuel tanks, and so it was, a, it was pretty heavy, but it had a very, very powerful engine, and so it was better than anything that the enemy had, All right, just simply better. And so here we have... 
So we're going to go back. Now, here we have an aircraft, the P-51, and the follow-on concepts was the F-6F Hellcat for the Navy. Here we have an airplane that that performed so well that it not only exceeded all expectations, but it was, in fact... Um, uh, an aircraft that um, led to uh, innovative operational employment. All right, so it led to uh, the creation of uh, new kinds of uh, aerial tactics. Uh, we could call it. Um, strategy and tactics, if you will, or tactics and maneuvers. Um, I, I use the term uh, mostly tactics and maneuvers, okay, uh, in terms of what, what we do uh, when we uh, perform aerial combat. We employ certain tactics and maneuvers, uh, there's a number of related terms, uh, but I try to keep it as simple as possible. And um, and so that was done in the European theater with the P-51. It was also it was actually duplicated in the Battle of the Philippine Sea. If you want to say that, you know, what was the most important battle in uh, in the Pacific theater in World War Two? What was the most important battle? Okay. I would say that probably there was two, all right? Two comes close. I would say that the the Battle of Midway was the turning point, and the Battle of the Philippine Sea uh, was the final blow, okay? After the Battle of the Philippine Sea, uh, the, uh, the, the Imperial Japanese Navy just could not do anything. It was pretty well, it was pretty well destroyed, all right? So... Uh, so those two battles, and those two were carrier-based, carrier against carrier. Uh, and when you're looking at the aircraft carrier, here you have a group of people who were first and foremost innovating. They were involved in, in creative and critical thinking. That's what they were. Right, so these were the 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 forefront of the nation's best critical and creative thinking. They they were, they they took this brand new type of warfare and figured out how to make it work. This brand new type of warfare is uh, it goes by a number of terms. I <coughs> excuse me. I like to use aerial combat but it's a brand new type of warfare and there's a lot of creativity uh, or critical and creative thinking that went into it from the very beginning these are very these are thought leaders okay and there was a whole bunch of them of course uh, there was um, in the army air force uh, army air corps uh, they kept using those two terms, eventually became the Air Force and the U.S. Navy, naval aviation and aerial combat from a uh, fleet of carriers. All right. So with respect to aerial combat from uh, the carrier task force, uh, I was involved in that directly. I was a member of a uh, carrier task force in the Pacific Fleet. Uh, it was called uh, uh, Carrier Task Force 77, uh, CTF 77, we used to call it. Uh, and uh, it was part of the 7th Fleet. You can you see how the numbers work, all right? So uh, Carrier Task Force uh, had similar numbers to the uh, numbered fleet. Uh, each uh, area of the ocean has a particular uh, fleet assigned to it. In this case, it was a seventh fleet, uh, which handled most of the Pacific 
area of responsibility, the Seventh Fleet. Uh, the Seventh, the Carrier Task Force in the Seventh Fleet was enormous. In my day, it was enormous. Uh, uh, the lead carrier uh, in uh, for for me was the USS Constellation. It was also there was other 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 carriers there as well because we would rotate. But the USS Constellation was one of them. Um, the USS Enterprise was another one, and uh, so forth and so on. Right. So th those were the the, the uh, you know I call them the first group of super carriers. Technically, that's not true. I guess the Forest All Class carriers were considered to be the first group of super carriers. All right, but they were a bit smaller. All right, uh, the uh, USS Constellation was a Kitty Hawk class carrier, and it was bigger. All right, so I, but you know, to keep things very simple, I just say it was the first group of super carriers. All right, so it was uh, four or five of them uh, that were built uh, identical. Okay, uh, the Enterprise, the Constellation, uh, Kitty Hawk, and America—they were—they were all identical. I've been on uh, almost all of them, all right, and and they—they're basically you know, identical. Um, and so, the the carrier aviation, particular aerial combat from uh, from a carrier test force or from the flight deck of an aircraft carrier. Uh, that proved to be wildly successful during the Battle of of the Philippine Sea. Okay, and so how did that all come about? It all came about because of the uh, because of the genius of the people who put together the the uh, the successful employment of the P fifty one in the European theater. This was something that was brand new. It was way outside the box. You're talking about critical thinking. You're talking about creative and critical thinking. Uh, these were the top people in uh, not only this country, but in the world. These were the number one top uh, creative and critical thinkers on planet Earth. But they took something that had never existed before. Aerial combat had never existed until World War I. It was very fledgling at the time. And here's a guy, uh, Colonel Tommy Hitchcock. He comes out of World War I. He goes into World War II, gets involved in, in, um, in the tactical development of the employment of the P-51. And he was directly successful in that uh, environment, and and uh, quite a quite a remarkable achievement. Uh, also, a national hero, uh, uh, Colonel Tommy Hitchcock was in fact killed uh, in combat. All right, so he lost his life in World War Two as well. Uh, recognizing that this was a very, very dangerous time for aviators, uh, and uh, he was uh, he was killed uh, toward the latter part of World War II. He was killed. Uh, I think he's a national hero. I think uh, other people uh, believe the same thing. Okay. Uh, that brings me. I'm going to close off here with, uh, with a, a little bit about uh, another uh, thought leader, okay. Uh, and he is um, uh, retired Navy Captain James Fitzsimmons. Okay, now uh, he is still with us today. All right, uh, he is the director of the Halsey Alpha Research Group at the Naval War College. You can see that I'm, I'm reading this from, you can see it, the, this is the proceedings. Uh, this is their, uh, their uh, publication. Uh, actually, it's the, uh, the U.S. Naval Institute uh, is, um, uh, you know, publishes this 
uh, this uh, magazine. Um, is it monthly? Or is it quarterly? I can't remember. Do you know if this is monthly? No. Okay. Um, we're going to say monthly. <laughs> let, let me read you a little bit about this uh, remarkable uh, thinker. Uh, just amazing. They asked him a bit. This is an answer to a question. He says, I was fortunate to have served as a military assistant to Andrew Marshall for four years in the early 1990s when I was exposed to truly critical thinking regarding force structure and employment. Okay, so what are we talking about? We're talking about the operational employment of weapon systems in a way that one would consider that to be innovative and creative. Okay. Uh, in order to do that, in order to actually be innovative and creative, you have to start out with critical thinking. You have to be able to think critically. And that's exactly what... Uh, Captain Fitzsimmons is saying, okay, that's exactly what went on with Tommy Hitchcock. That's exactly what went on with the heroes of the Battle of the Philippine Sea. Uh, next show, I'll get, I'll get some names for you so that we can honor them. There's a number of key individuals uh, that were participating in that, uh, in that lopsided battle. Uh, one of the uh, probably the most decisive air combat operation ever conducted by the United States and probably ever conducted by any nation ever in the history of the world. It was incredible. And so that is what we uh, need to seriously consider. If we are going to succeed, what is the first order of business? The first order of business is to be able to think critically. Another end to another show of Throttle Up Radio. Thank you for listening and watching, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>